0: One of the most comfortable things, one of the safest things for the people of God to do together should be to pray. It should be instinctive and easy for the people of God to come together and pray together. I'm Kyle Grant and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts 2. Today's going to be one of those messages where I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. There's not the expectation that you should turn to all of them. In your note-taking, I would recommend to you, as you see the points come up, perhaps just write the references next to the points in your notes, and maybe look them up later. I'm going to read most of them, but If we turn to each of them, we will probably fail in time that we need to get through. But we started a few weeks ago a a series on prayer in the church and the importance of it. And we, in our first message from Colossians 4, just attempted to build or remind ourselves of the foundation of the priority of prayer in a local church. And this morning, I want to talk about the idea of prayer within the culture of a local church. And making sure that it is woven into the fabrics of who we are as a congregation. And of course, there's no better way to establish this and to see this culture of prayer than in the first church as we see it established and strengthened and built in the Acts of the Apostles. This idea of culture is, with a basic definition, is the customary beliefs and social forms and material traits of a religious or social group, or that's at least how Dr. Webster describes it. Last week I spoke to a friend who is moving from seminary and into full-time ministry. They're moving from Detroit, Michigan, to Palm Bay, Florida. And so they are moving to warmer weather, certainly. And I told him, we were talking about ministry, and I told him, I said, you know, when you get there, it's going to be one of your top priorities to learn two cultures. Learn two cultures. And the first culture is obviously the one where he finds himself geographically. Because that that will directly affect his ministry. It informs his ministry. And obviously the second culture that he should learn is that of the church. Every church has a different local culture. Every church has a different makeup. Every church has a different personality. And obviously we should pray that the culture of the church is, is clearly biblical. I was a southerner who moved to the Midwest, and he's a Midwesterner moving south. He was originally raised in Ohio. So being the inverse of a Midwesterner moving south, I was able to speak with some experience and think about with some experience what it means to change cultures. Um, In the South, they speak differently than in the Midwest. They speak the same language, but they speak differently. The Midwest is a place where Many people won't spend a few hours on an airplane, but they'll spend hours in the woods hunting for mushrooms. And in the South, they, they hunt very differently. One of my experiences in moving to the Midwest is, especially this year in the Midwest, is that everybody can fix everything. They can just go out to the garage and find the part that they need that they already have and fix whatever the problem is. In the South, they can fix everything as well, with duct tape. The tool is fairly universal. It's silver and it comes on a roll. Changes changes your life. It is true that when we think about culture and understanding a culture affects what we do around the people in that culture. Cause us to think about the differently about the people in that culture. And as a pastor, and as people, and as one of your brothers, and as you, as my brothers and sisters, it is our primary priority as a local church to make sure the culture is clearly and definitively biblical. Because there may be cultures, or there may be things or aspects about a culture and a church that may even be a good thing. But a good thing might not always be a biblical thing. And and we need to make sure that as we think about the culture of grace Bible church, and as you think about the culture of your church, maybe just start to think through in your mind how would you describe Grace Bible Church as a culture? I'm sure many things would come to your mind. I'm sure the word loving, or gen- the words loving, or generous, or friendly, or welcoming, would come to your mind. And I believe that those are good descriptions, accurate descriptions. I would hope words like biblical would come to your mind. We're 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 devoted, not perfectly, but we're devoted to the scriptures what takes place at this pulpit, what takes place in our singing, what takes place in our encouragement, what takes place in our, our youth ministry, in our children's ministry, we're devoted to a, a, a culture of ministry that is expressly and clearly biblical. And I would hope that as you think about the culture of your church, Grace Bible Church, we would say that woven in the fabric of our culture is the priority of prayer. I would hope. And so this morning, I want to take what we learned from this church. this This is going to be a challenging message. There's a lot of things to cover. And so we're all going to need strength this morning. I would hope that we take our cues, our biblical cues that we would learn in our example from this first church as we think about the culture of prayer. You're in Acts chapter 2, and I want to look at verse uh, 42 down to the end of the chapter together, just because 42 to 47 really kind of give us the, the main priorities of this church. So just to catch you up on where we are, we've gone through the book of Acts much together um uh, in my time teaching the Word. But uh, just to catch you up on where we are in the book of Acts, Jesus has left. Remember Jesus makes this this great prediction uh, that the, apostles, the disciples would be filled with the Holy, would be Holy Spirit. Um, and they are. At the beginning of chapter two, they're all together praying, by the way. And the Holy Spirit comes and they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And what takes place when they're filled with the Holy Spirit? They begin to teach and they begin to declare the, uh, the message of the gospel in, in varying languages. So much so that the people are like these people have lost their minds, maybe a little bit, maybe they might they might even be a little bit intoxicated. And they say, no, we're not intoxicated. we're we're full of the spirit. We're about to deliver messages you need to hear. And then Peter uh, preaches this message of Pentecost. There's thousands of conversions, and the church is established in Acts chapter two. Um, and so beginning of verses forty two to forty seven, or we find ourselves in verse 42 to 47, we see the priorities of this church that's just been founded. when I say this church that's been founded, we're talking about this church, this local church in Jerusalem, and the church of God that is founded. The New Testament church. So read with me verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and the prayers. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you see in verse 42 the things that they were devoted to. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Um, just Just to sum up verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's obviously the doctrine that would be taught, the doctrine of Christ specifically. Fellowship, that's time together and breaking of bread, this is the Lord's table, and the prayers. They were devoted to the prayers. Notice he doesn't just say prayers, he says the prayers. This is the idea that they had prayers that they would pray together that were either written out by the apostles or provided from them uh, by church leaders, maybe even formed by the Old Testament. But you see right off the bat that within the culture of the church was prayer and I want to show you from not just this verse, but throughout the whole book, that everything to which the church is committed, is undergirded, is strengthened by a culture, a default to prayer by the apostles and by the believers in the church. The Acts, this book, provides for us Several patterns of prayer. Several patterns of prayer. And the first pattern I want you to see is one of prioritized engagement. A pattern of prioritized engagement. And there were three ways that we see this priority throughout the book. And the first passage that that I'm going to reference is is, as chapter 6 verse 4. And if you want to go there you can, you can flip over one page. Again, you're not going to be required to go to every passage, but this isn't a bad place to start. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Now, I want to remind you of the context. So so again, I'm going to ask you to keep with me. We're going to go to lots of different passages and then with every passage I want to make sure you understand the context because if I just give you a few principles from that passage without like giving the context, I don't really think we're doing a good job with the scriptures, all right? So we're going to be in lots of different places, you're going to hear lots of information, you to hear lots of data, and then several applications, all right? And so our first context this morning is in chapter 6, and if you know the book of Acts, what takes place in chapter 6 is we actually have the establishment of the New Testament office of what? Do you know? Deacons, right. And, and deacons were formed actually out of a personnel problem, Okay? Chapter 6, now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, the church is made up of of peoples of different uh, social demographics and ethnic demographics, and so there is a complaint by the Greeks against those who are Jewish because their widows, there being the Greeks, the Hellenists, were, were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, in other words, the Jews... They were getting better treatment. As things were being handed out, as needs were being met, as as maybe funds were being provided or food was being handed out, sometimes the Hellenists were being ignored. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, the full number, so all of the church, this is thousands of people, said it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word, to serve tables. The said our priority here is to teach the Word. You should be caring for the people. And the twelve summoned, excuse me, verse three, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you the seven men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Verse four. And so primarily in this pattern of priority this priority starts with the leadership of the church. So when we think about culture, we should first think in a church, when we think about the culture of prayer in a church, about pastoral prayer. Excuse me. Pastoral prayer. And so the culture of prayer in a church should be led primarily by those leading the church. You say, well, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to take care of the people and you are right partially. But that is not even correct primarily. Do you see the response by those, the apostles leading the church in this particular problem? They had a personnel conflict. They had a relational conflict within the church. In other words, some people weren't getting along. And because of a a valid reason. Hey, there's unfair treatment going on. We feel like you as the leaders should know this. And when it was brought to them, the leader's response was, let's bring men who will take care of this situation. They will deal with these personal conflicts. They will deal with the care of the people so that we can prioritize two things. Prayer and the Word. The teaching of the Word. the understanding in this congregation is that the leaders were praying and preparing to teach. There's a false dichotomy here that I think is important to address. I've heard statements said critically or in a a complaining way about pastors Like, not necessarily about myself. I'm not saying this about myself. My congregation is very gracious to us. But it goes something like this. Well, he's always in his office. He's always in his office. Shouldn't he be like with the people all the time? We should never consider a pastor in his office laboring over the word and praying as a failure to care for the people. In fact, you should consider a pastor or a leader of the church in his office praying and laboring over the word as the primary way that he is caring for you. You should understand that that pastor is obeying God in the basic and essential functions of his calling. Prayer and ministry of the words, ministry of the word, are never at odds with people time. It is people time. Now, do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying I'm just going to shut my office door and never see you anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm sa- a, con- a pastor should know the congregation well enough and should be with the congregation well enough to be able to teach into their lives. But don't ever walk by a pastor's office door and resent that it is shut. Thank the Lord that he's obeying God and he's caring for you in that way. I'm not speaking out of personal criticism again. I'm just reminding us that within the culture of prayer here, the culture of prayer is led pastorally. And this is something, and I think I told you this last, uh, last time we addressed this, this is something the Lord has been rebuking me in my own heart. Much of this series has grown out of the Lord's growing in me. And things I should have been doing better, and things I should have uh, been doing sooner. And so hopefully you've noticed, even in little ways, like when I say, if you need something, please fill out that, part, that, that card in front of you. We'll pray for you few weeks ago when I preached this first message on prayer, there were just a few times just right there in that moment after the service we're praying our people were praying together and it was like immediately when the Lord works in the leadership of a congregation when the Spirit works in the leadership of a congregation when the Spirit rebukes the leadership of a congregation, the Spirit is not doing things on accident. And the people will and should follow. It was amazing to see. It was, it was wonderful to see. So within the culture of prioritized prayer, it starts pastorally. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Secondly, within this culture of prioritized prayer, just engaging in prayer, there's pastoral prayer, but we also see pattern for us in the book of Acts, a commitment to personal prayer. Chapter three, verse one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Prayer, the ninth hour. Peter and John begin this context in chapter 3 of teaching and then eventually persecution in chapter 3. They go up to the temple, committed to their personal, not just Judaistic, but their personal commitment in prayer. Chapter 10, verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to Prayed. The apostles understood that strengthening their ministry, founding their ministry, was this priority. That I must go to the Lord. I must seek the power of God. We must submit ourselves to the Spirit. And so, this first point, pastoral prayer—excuse <clears throat> me—was was was more for us. We as pastors, as leaders of the church must commit ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But this idea of personal prayer is, is to all believers. That we recognize that going about our service, we need to be strengthened and founded by this idea that I've got to be praying and everything I'm doing. Peter and John are going about the work of the ministry and, and they still set a time, a set aside disciplined times to pray. Set times to pray. Now remember we talked two weeks ago about about this idea of it's good to have seasons of prayer. But do you remember the the idea that Paul is communicating in Colossians 4 that we studied in, in Romans 12 that we studied? Pray consistently. Pray persistently. Have a posture of prayer. Be constantly praying no matter what you're doing. And so we see pattern for us, this idea of personal prayer. So now I just ask you, brother and sister, how are you doing? I hope, and I say this as lovingly as possible, I hope when someone asks you what your prayer life is like, I hope you always say, oh man, it needs to be better. There are very few questions in our sanctification that when someone asks you how it's going, should you say, I feel like I'm really doing well. That question. Does that make sense? What I just said, because most of the time when someone asks us about our spiritual life and say, "How's this going? How are you growing in this way?" We should always have the humble response, "Man, I've got a long way to go." And mean it, not just say it, not do this like, "Oh, I I'm praying that the Lord's growing me," because I I that's just try and, Don't try to appear spiritual with your answers. Be honest before the Lord. How are you doing in your personal commitment to prayer? If we've ever feel like we've got it figured out, I guarantee you we have not. If we ever feel like we've reached it, that is absolute proof that we have not reached it. That just means we've reached whatever standard for ourselves we've reached. That just means, that just proves that we have a a level of pride that if we think we can can reach, we can measure up to it, then we're happy with ourselves. I've never met a true praying person, a true prayer warrior who says, I'm a good prayer. Never heard that. It's like humility. You're never going to hear a humble person say they're humble. I spoke one time at our church in New Hampshire, and uh, they asked me to speak on prayer, and I I literally started the message by saying, you know, um, being asked to speak on prayer is a little bit like being asked to speak on humility. You just, you're never really qualified, right? And then the next year, I don't know if they did it as a joke or if it was just whatever the sermon calendar was, but the next year they were speaking on prayer, they were doing a series on prayer again, and they gave me the topic of humble prayer. And I was like, you got, the, you got the wrong guy for this. How are you doing? Do you have a posture of prayer and personal discipline to pray? Or do you pray three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? There's a lot of Americans who talk to their pets more than they talk to God. And it's like their pet's going to speak back to them or something. There's a lot of people, a lot of Christians, who at night when they put their kids to bed, they're just trying to get into bed so they can go about their thing. Just got to get the kids in bed so I can have some time to ourselves or with my spouse. So they don't teach their kids to pray. There's a lot of Christians who say things like, you know, I, I was going to attend that service, I was going to attend that Bible study, but I was hoping for more Bible study time and they just end up praying. It's a, I don't like to pray with people I don't know. Culture of prayer. A personal commitment to something that we do as one people. And then we have this idea of praying together, partnering in prayer. I read 242, for you, they devoted themselves, they being those who were converted at Pentecost to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. Again, these were probably liturgical prayers that they would enjoy and read together. Acts 16, verse 16, they were, as we were going to a place of prayer, as We, this is one of the few times that Luke actually refers to himself and the other followers in the book as we were going to a place of prayer. We were committed to praying together. This is, of course, the the miracle where where Paul casts the demon from the, uh, the slave girl. So we have this idea of pastoral prayer, this idea of personal prayer, this idea of praying together. And I guarantee you, you'll be less likely to pray with other people if you're not praying yourself you will not see the priority of praying with your congregation if you do not see the priority of praying by yourself on your own in your own sanctification it's not going to happen and that is both a low view of prayer and of your church now listen I I understand I, I'm not trying to sound uncompassionate I understand there are varying comfort levels in a group of people who are praying together. I I understand that. I really do. You know, I'm not comfortable praying with people. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not, or whatever. And I know there's, you may, maybe there's a new believer. You might be a new believer. You might be a young believer or whatever. And you're like, I'm, what if I don't say the right things or whatever? And there's nerves. You're not talking for those other people. You're talking for one listener. One. And if other people you are praying with in that group, let's say we have on Wednesday nights, I break you up into groups and you're praying. We do that, every, we do that most Wednesdays. Um, and you're praying with people. Maybe you've never met them. You say I'm uncomfortable around this group. I, I, don't, know to, I don't know what to say or whatever. If, if they're praying like they're, they should, they're not criticizing your prayer. They're not saying, oh, I, I wouldn't have said it that way. What they think doesn't matter. And if they're listening and engaged like they should, they're just saying yes, amen, amen throughout your prayer. So you just talk to God. Just talk to God. God wants you to talk to Him. You're His child. He loves you. One of the most comfortable things, one of the safest things for the people of God to do together should be to pray. It should be instinctive and easy for the people of God to come together and pray together. One of the basic functions of this early church is that they were praying together. You'll continue to see it as we study this morning. Not one of us should have a place in the family of God. Do you understand that? Not one of us. You shouldn't have a place in the family of God, neither should I. It's undeserved, unmerited grace that we are in the family of God. But not only that, we don't deserve to all be here. Not one of us deserves the grace of God, but this whole group of individuals, this whole group of believers, everyone watching online, we as a group don't deserve the grace of God. So as individuals, we don't. And as one collected unit, we don't. But we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so though I have no goodness in me or merit sufficient to bribe or persuade God to listen to me, and neither do you, God by His grace has made us His father by adopting us as his children and we who were abundantly wicked and deserving only to cry for mercy now may stand before the throne room of God with a father and cry for anything that we need i should only have the right to cry for mercy but he says ask ask come and we who are confined by endless limitations may seek the source of limitless strength and we who have formerly we had formerly no right to ask for anything are now given the right to ask for mountain moving faith exceeding abundant acts beyond anything that we can imagine or comprehend you can do that but you know what's even more awesome than that we can do it together with one another for one another talking to our God together as a family accessing our father together as a family And as a father delighting in the love his children express to one another, so the father delights to hear his children with one voice bringing praise and requests to him. Do you remember as a child, maybe you had a sibling, and you together were kind of mustering up the courage to ask your parents something? God, like, oh, we, we should ask him this. Maybe it's something you, you wanted. It was a, a gift that you thought you could enjoy together. or Maybe it was, a, maybe you were teenagers or something you wanted to do together and so you had to ask permission. And so you were kind of mustering up the courage to get it. You had this request you wanted to make. Prayer is when the people of God say to one another, let's go ask dad together. Let's go talk to our father about this. And Jesus reminds us that which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Brothers and sisters, let's let's talk to our Father together. Let's pray together. Let's go to Him for one another, with one another. Do you know the prayer needs of the person in your pew? A pattern of priority. Secondly, we find in the book of Acts a pattern of persistence, a pattern of persistent engagement in prayer. This is something they did regularly. So it's something they gave priority to, and it's something they gave time to, because you will give time to the things that you consider to be priorities. I want to show you two primary ways that we see their persistence. First of all, they prayed in times of ministry transition. They prayed in times of ministry transition. Specifically, I'm thinking about our ministry. And as we think about, as our ministry progresses, I think as our ministry moves forward, as the culture of a church grows, and there will be times when things need to be done at Grace Bible Church, decisions that need to be made. We see a pattern of prayer in times of transition in the book of Acts. Often, it involves personnel, people, or leadership. The first time we see this is in chapter 1. They've got a disciple to replace, remember? Because one of them has betrayed Christ. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, this is verse 24. You, Lord who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas is turned aside to go to his own place. We've already mentioned that in this time of of they made a personnel change in praying for the deacons. So in chapter 1, they're praying of the replacement of an apostle. In chapter 6, they're praying that God would appoint the right men, or they're praying that the people would appoint the right men so they as pastors could devote themselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. Chapter 13. And they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So when Paul and Barnabas are sent off for ministry, when they, when they launch missionaries out, there's a time of praying. Chapter 14, verse 23, And when they'd appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they'd believed. And so when local churches were established, and the team of apostles were sent out, and they would appoint elders in a local church, they did it with prayer. If you study the book of Acts, you will find that a church that raises up leadership without prayer is starting off on poor footing. And so I hope when you vote for deacons, you've prayed about it. Hope. Do you remember, this is this is top-down leadership, do you remember when Pastor Fisher laid out the plan for pastoral transition? Do you remember what it was called? Prayer plan. Because when a church raises up leadership, it should be done with prayer. And so, I don't know what pastors the Lord will bring to Grace Bible Church. I guarantee you when we brought on the Weldons, they were praying and we were praying and you were praying. I don't know what pastors the Lord will bless us with the Grace Bible Church. But I, I know... I, I know other churches and and they go through, pastors are on rotation because they're just trying to get talent in, they're just trying to get a warm body in, and it's just trying to fill a position. And that's not primarily a problem with the pastor that they've hired, it's a problem with the pastors that are already there, not saying, let's pray about this. with the people and leadership that are already there, when the the people, with the people in the congregation who are saying if we're going to make leadership changes, if we're going to make personnel changes, we can't do it without prayer. God put the right person in the right place. Now when you pray that, He may appoint you. Lord, put the right person in the right place. And then a pastor comes and says, hey, have you thought about teaching Sunday school? And you, and you thought, no, I meant someone else. God put the right person in the right place. Hey, we've got this new ministry starting. I think the Lord's gifted you to do this. You should be praying that God puts the right people in the right place at Grace Bible Church, and you should be praying humbly enough to acknowledge it if it's you. They prayed in times of ministry transition. We see it in personnel, but we also see it at a massive theological point in not just the book, but in the New Testament. Remember what takes place in Acts chapter 10 is that we're moving from not just a ministry primarily that's being launched out into the Jewish ministry, but when Peter begins this massive ministry in the regions and hearts of the Gentiles. At Caesarea, there was a... Chapter 10, verse 1. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. A centurion. I, I just... I just want to stop on this for a second. And I know we're running out of time, but I want to stop on this for a second. We don't have an evening service, so I can go as long as I want. Um, you think there are people in this church who are different than you? And that's awesome. The church should be diverse. Churches should be diverse, right? There are people in this church different from you. I'm, I'm different. I know that. I think everyone else is weird, and I'm normal. The church is made of people who are different. But but did you read that line? A centurion. So, in this church, there were Jewish people and a former Roman soldier. And if you know anything about that relationship, it's not a good one. Remember, the Jews wanted to be freed from the Romans, that's why they thought Jesus came was to overthrow Roman oppression. And so you sit down on a pew next to you with someone who has personality differences. They would sit down on whatever they sat down upon next to someone that by all intents and purposes and by the way that they were raised culturally, they should hate. That's how diverse this church was. But The Spirit of God brings them together. The church is pretty awesome. A devout man, verse 2, who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. So Peter goes, and we have this transition that takes place from chapters 1 to chapter 9, which was primarily a ministry in Jerusalem of the Jews, to the ministry that's going to spread now out into the Gentiles, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. But do you note the reason the angel gives? You prayed, and God heard it. And so now the gospel's going to go forth to all peoples. Which means these prayers didn't just cross social boundaries. It caused the gospel moving to the known world. And the effects of the gospel, the transformation of the gospel, the salvation of the gospel, the freedom of the gospel, settling in the hearts of all peoples. Because he prayed. Are you praying that the gospel would go forth from Grace Bible Church? Is that a prayer of yours? Because man, we can get so accidentally self-consumed with our prayers. Again, I'm not saying don't ask. You should ask. We can go to our Father, but we can get so accidentally self-consumed with our prayers. Trying to get through this and trying to get through this and trying to get through this and I'm sick today and I'm not feeling well. And whatever, Pray for your sickness. Pray for your events. Do all of those things. But when was the last time you actually had a dedicated time in prayer where you said, I'm going to bring before the Lord my church, and I'm going to say, God, would you send the gospel to all peoples? And God, in in His throne room, hears the voices as one, the voices of Grace Bible Church rising up before Him into His hearing that He would grow the gospel from this place and that it would settle in our hearts as believers and that we would be transformed by it, that we would love it, that we would cherish this gospel so much so that we would talk to people who don't have it. Is it a prayer on your heart and your mind that God would use your church not just for you, but that the gospel would go from this place and that from Grace Bible Church, we would become, and that in Grace Bible Church, we would become an evidence, an example of what happens when diverse people, all tribes and tongues and nations, and people of different social backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, whatever kind of demographic, are gathered together. And when people ask why, we say, well, The gospel goes forth because people pray. We pray. That's what happens. Secondly, so they they prayed in times of ministry transition. We have this in personnel, we have this in the effect of the gospel going to new people. They prayed in times of ministry testing. I'm not i'm not too idealistic i'm an optimist sometimes <laughs> but i'm not an idealist so i know that there's going to be hard times at grace bible church i know that 30 there have been already there were hard times in this church too peter and john are being persecuted in chapter 4 verse 23 when they were released they went to their friends and reported What the chief priest and elders said to them And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is still a prayer, by the way. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. This is how they're talking to God. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is amazing. He's just, in this prayer, they've just been released from prison. They acknowledge in this prayer the governmental threats and they do not say pray that we would not be persecuted. Do you see that? They do not say change the hearts of the government so they make it easy for us to go to church. They say make us bold to speak the word anyway. Even when the testing comes. Even when the jail cell is closed. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 12, when he realized this. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And remember what's taking place in Acts chapter 12, excuse me? Peter's in jail and he gets out. I love this. They're all praying together. They're all praying to one home together that that Peter would be freed. Peter's freed. And he knocks on the door and he's like, hey, it's me. And they're like, no, it can't be. (laughs) So they prayed, maybe we, should, maybe we should pray that they had a little more faith, understand that they should have been praying, believing, but this is what they were doing when their leadership was being tested. They were together praying. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in Philippi. Where are they in Philippi? They're in jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I love that little line. The prisoners were listening. It's midnight. They could have tried to sleep, but why do that? Why try to sleep at midnight when you could be praying for strength and singing praises to the Lord? And of course, you know, it takes place there. God miraculously saves them. Now Listen. God, if you study the book of Acts, you study the, the persecution, especially what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 12, God doesn't save his children from persecution just because God is nice to his children. He saves them from persecution, and he releases them from jail miraculously so that they can keep going. It's not like, all right, the doors are open to the jail in, 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 Phili- in Philippi now so you can go home and get some rest. So the doors are open. So you can go do more work. And so as we have work to do even in times of ministry, trial and testing, let us not pray that let or let us make sure that those times of trial and those times of testing do not slow us, but that we pray that as we come through those times of trial and testing, we have strength to keep going. And this is where I want to end just very quickly. We see a pattern of the powerful effects of prayer. A pattern of the powerful effects of prayer. I just read chapter 4, but I didn't read the end of verse... of, 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 of I didn't read verse 31, remember? So, so in chapter 4, they're released from prison and they pray... That the Lord would, would give them boldness to continue to speak the, the message of the gospel. And what happens? Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed that God would make them bold, and guess what? He did. So one of the powerful effects of prayer is that it causes us to overcome our gospel fears. It gives us courage in our mission. So it emboldened them to speak the gospel. And it built the church through that gospel. The story is told of a man who went to visit Spurgeon on a Sunday evening service. Spurgeon would have Sunday morning for his congregation and he would invite, he would actually ask unbelievers not to come until Sunday evening. And so one time, or one day, a, a believer came and said, where are your where are your Christians? These are all unbelievers on a Sunday evening. Where, where are your brothers and sisters? This person said, come with me. And They walked downstairs to the boiler room. I said, they're right here. And they were all on their knees praying. Because upstairs, there were a bunch of people who hadn't claimed the name of Jesus. And I hope I hope that as you think about Sunday morning, as you think about your neighbors, as you think about the people around you, and as we think about reaching people here, it might not be in a boiler room, but we can have confidence to know the people of God are together. They're in their own closets. They're on their knees in their own living rooms. And they're praying for the people here who may not have yet claimed the name of Jesus. And they're praying together. Knowing that we as a family can go to God together. Speak to our Father together. Because it's just the culture of Grace Bible Church. just what we do. It's just who we are. My prayer is that we get so good at this, I don't even have to have dedicated times of pulpit time for preaching. I still will. But we're so good at it, you don't even need it. That's my prayer. That's just what we do. And when's a better time to start than now? So let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray. We need it. We ask you through Christ for his glory. Amen.